Ladies and gentlemen, it's the captain speaking. Beyond the Cockpit with Grace McKellar. Hello everyone and thank you so much for uh, listening to another episode of Beyond the Cockpit. This episode is super exciting um, and we're joined by Stuart who was a pilot in the army. He flew helicopters. Today he's just going to chat with us about how his training went down in the military and sort of how he found the transition from being a military rotary pilot to um, commercial airline pilot. So I hope you enjoy. Hi Stuart, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. No problem, um, thank you for having me. No worries. So you're um, a commercial pilot but you have a military background. Could you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, so going through the education system I had very basic, it was a state school education, then I went to college only achieving average grades but I knew quite early on that I wanted to be a pilot and everything was sort of against you because of the the finances needed Mm. and for any scholarships or bursaries you seem to have needed the top sort of grades to be sort of competitive to to win one of these so I got to the the stage of after college again getting average grades that it was either go to university to do a degree that was not really beneficial in the aviation sector or try something new and try and find a way of saving the money to pay for flying because I knew at an early age that's what I wanted to do so I enjoyed doing lots of fitness and I was uh, I played a lot of cricket football I was into my sport so I thought the army might be sort of place where I'm going to learn a lot of life skills continue with the sport and save money Mm. to pay for the flying and at 18 you're missing a lot of life skills and you don't really understand the world. So I thought at 18, it was probably the best option for me, even though I was offered quite a good job at, uh, I was doing part-time at uh, a solicitor's firm and they offered me a full-time job. Mm -hmm. But I turned down the money because I knew what was needed at that time. It wasn't really the money. It was that overall package of life skills and being able to save. So I decided to join the uh, Royal Corps of Signals in the army into a communication job. So I thought I'd get to trade uh, that could be used on the outside in case the flying didn't come off for any reason, whether it was medical or uh, I wasn't successful in passing the selection. And then I did five years in a communication background. uh, And then I started working out within the military that there were so many different options and courses that you could take. Uh, and I found out about this army pilots course. Oh, interesting. Now, yes, yeah. So I found out the, the selection criteria for it. You needed uh, to have served four years, Lance Corporal recommended for Corporal, and you could apply. So I thought that was probably my best option at this time because at the time I decided this, I'd saved the, the money to leave, but it was 2009. Excel had just gone bust. The market was in a recession. Oh yeah, it was it was a real bad time. Yeah. So I didn't think it was wise to leave a, a steady, stable job then to try and chase when there were so many qualified pilots out there yeah, exactly. and you've got someone new. So I decided to try and apply for the pilot's course. Mm-hmm. And initially I had an issue with medical uh, oh, hay nice. fever. Oh, so, like hay fever? Yes, they're very, very keen on your hay fever, asthma, that rules oh you gosh. straight out for your medical. So I'd had a long spell where I hadn't had hay fever. It was over four years. Mm-hmm. So I reapplied and I've got through the medical and then I got through the next stages. Uh, started off with your initial medical and then after that, 
that you put a full application in. From there, you got invited to Cranwell, RF Cranwell in Lincolnshire. And then day one, you sat an aptitude test. It's pretty much the standard aptitude test that most flying schools give. Uh, and then there was a minimum score you had to achieve before you could proceed to day two. So at the end of day one, I had the good news that uh, I passed. So then you go into the second day, which yeah. was a full medical, where you've got all the doctors doing everything on you to make mm-hmm. sure you, you reach and body weight and your colour blindness and all that. Pass that successfully. And then you get invited to uh, attend uh, Middle Wallet to fly 12 hours on a grob tutor. Oh, wow. So, yes. So this is basically the stage where they see if you've got the ability to learn mm. uh, to disseminate the skills, uh, which they'll be teaching you over 12 hours. They want to see your learning capability. So 12 hours. But I had already done my PPL in my uh, in my spare time. So I'd had a little advantage and I didn't uh, let them know that I'd done a little bit of flying before. <laughs> Just to make sure, because if they if they know you've done a little bit of flying, they expect a bit more from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I had a I had an horrible incident down there. The helmet that I had was too tight, oh, fitted, taxiing back in. I felt real ill, and before I could do anything about it, it was too late. Oh no! <laughs> yes all over the instructor the canopy oh everywhere God. so I felt horrendous <laughs> I thought I'd blown it I, this was so embarrassing <laughs> uh, yeah I had to get fitted out new equipment all they were taking the mic out of me it was yeah oh it was God. quite a it was quite a horrible time when you're at your lowest thinking I can't believe they think I've got air sickness now and I'm not going to pass oh, no yeah so after all that, the instructor cleaned himself off and then uh, I carried on the next day uh, and completed the 12 hours and successfully had a tick uh, at that stage oh, good to move on. Yeah, it was quite a relief. <laughs> um, and then the final stage is an interview with um, four officers, senior officers in the British Army. Uh, and they're asking your um, motivations to become an army pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're asking about... Uh, what your concerns are they go through all your records all your reports the annual reports that you get in the military so they'll go through them and picking them apart weaknesses strengths things that you've done just basically to see that if you're the right person to mm. be an army pilot and they make you understand about the the way that pilot pay works and the promotion and everything like that yeah. and they're just testing your knowledge to make sure that this is something that you really want and then you find out quite, it was quite soon after that you find out if you pass and then if you pass that you finally get on the course that you can start the, it's quite a uh, thorough uh, selection process isn't it what it sounds like it is yes yeah it was it was very yeah it was very uh sort of stressful each stage but mm. i'm sure when they're spending millions of pounds on each person yeah, that they've course. got to be thorough because they've got to invest in the the right sorts of people because it's the, yeah. the public person that they're using yeah exactly so at that time there was it was quite the the delays in the system were were minimal because afghanistan was going on a lot mm. of people were focused out there and applying for jobs that were relating to specialty jobs out in afghanistan so i was quite lucky to get on a course quite quickly yeah uh, and started in 
uh, it was the end of 2010. Okay. I think it was November. Uh, and then at that stage, it's, the course has changed now. You don't go straight onto fixed wing anymore. You go straight onto helicopters. When when I went through, uh, you went on to, you did 45 hours on the Grob Tutor again up at RAF Barkston. Uh, after the ground school phase, uh, you went, did 45 hours. And once you've done your 45 hours, the majority of people pass that stage. It's only one or two that uh, are unsuccessful. And then after that, you start at uh, RAF Shawbridge on the squirrel helicopter now they've got the ec-135 which is a multi, uh, multi-engine helicopter which the police air ambulance use okay. so the students are very lucky now to have that <laughs> helicopter moving map and everything else oh lovely yes and then basic rotary phase so you're going to do the basic you split down into different squadrons so you have the basic rotary phase advance and then you'd move on to your next stage which would be the operational training phase where you'd learn to fly the helicopter mm. so yeah the first phase the, the hover and the, the basic um, navigation yeah. etc yeah. so it was renowned that this stage you lost quite a lot through the this initial rotary stage that you lost a lot of the pilots mm. off the course it was quite a stressful training system because you have an air warning system where if you fail a trip you get awarded extra hours you move up the system to air warning one air warning two and then you go to a chop ride and then if you fail your chop ride you remove from training so this can all happen within a week so your dream could end within a week so it's a really sort of stressful time that you, Mm. you keep meeting the requirements and you're doing everything else that you possibly could to make sure that you're successful yeah of our corridor I think there was about eight of us at the time and there was only two or three that finished at, oh at that gosh. stage to move on to yeah, middle wallop uh, it was it was enjoyable and there was a, a lot of fantastic instructors yeah the training the training was really good and it was quite exciting like the mountain phase you get to go to Snowdonia and oh, you do wow. the initial yeah lip landings and pinnacle landings up there which were fantastic oh, nice. Uh, yeah and I'd never really been interested in helicopters until this stage and it was just unbelievable the buzz that you got from helicopters and being low level going over trees at 50 100 feet and landing in confined areas it was just something unbelievable to me and I got, it was really exciting and it's something that I knew that I wanted to do at that stage yeah. that I had to complete this course so luckily I got through the next couple of stages the advanced stage and where you, the advanced stage is where you do all your night vision goggles, your introduction. Oh, cool. uh, it, it was good. It's the learning curve is quite steep, but uh, yeah, enjoyable. I can't at the even same begin time. to imagine how tough that must have been. It was, but because the instructors are so good and the training system is so robust that it's not like you're just thrown in at the deep end. Everything yeah. is at the basic stage. It's just you've you, at the back of your mind, you know that you've got to keep progressing. You mm. can't really have bad sorties because you start getting into the air warning system. You do a land away as well. You plan a trip outside wherever you wanted to go. I think we went down south, down to Duxford, landed at a museum. Oh, I uh, like and then flew back. Yeah, fantastic. And then past that stage, and then got down to Middle Wallop, where the real pressure started to happen. It was a, a massive step up from you thinking I, I can fly a helicopter now, but now this is the stage where they train you to fight the helicopter. So basically, you're doing uh, you do a lot more low level flying. Mm. You do formation flying. And you're doing like battle positions, oh maneuvering the helicopter in the, in the high ground, and trying to get eyes on targets, recce's. 
so it was it was really good but it was very fast paced mm. you're working multiple radios speaking to ground call signs and they, they build it in. it's a, a very stressful sort of phase and uh, you're working very long hours but I had a fantastic course and everyone supported each other and helped that's each good. other through think, that's the most important thing isn't it if you have a strong group of people that you're working with and you can all kind of support each other oh it makes a huge difference yeah. the course is uh, you, you could see as you're going through the train system that the courses that work together, a lot more of the percentage of the course was successful. Mm. Now, the courses that were fragmented and were a lot more for themselves, they lost a lot more people. So it just shows that working together really does pay. There's one stage called the tasking phase where it's a rapid plan where you've got multiple drops and pickups and you need the whole team working with you. And that's what they're checking that everyone helps each other out on that stage because not one person would have passed if it wasn't for the team to help you on that stage. And that's what they were testing. Again, you did uh, more NVG flying a bit more advanced uh, at that stage. You're doing low level NVG down in the weeds. They're great fun, but, again hard work all mvg flying because your senses are just working overload when you're down looking for the threats so at that stage our course we'd amalgamated with a different course we'd lost a couple people by the end of otp i think we'd lost two or three off the course on that stage and then the course ahead of us lost one of the guys on his last flight on that stage before he got his wings yeah it was uh yeah extremely tough after 18 months to, mm. to be binned off. And then once you pass that stage, you get your wings, you get your, your army wings. Uh, they got presented down at Middle Wallop or your family come down. Oh, uh, it was a fantastic day to celebrate after all the hard work mm. and effort stress that had gone in the yeah, last 18 months imagine. and then from that stage you get uh streamed which aircraft you're going on to so whether it's apache lynx bell gazelle with the options everyone puts a preference down and then basically they work out who's best suited for what aircraft and what's yeah. your preference i chose lynx and luckily i got lynx it was a utility helicopter okay. it's just used for so many different roles it was just a bit more up my street. Plus, there was a base up north, and I lived up north, so that that influenced my decision. Mm-hmm. But it, the course was pretty much split half and half, links and Apache. And then you wait for your course again to start, and then the Apache course is another 18 months long, and the links course was six months. Again, six months after six months, completed the links course. No one failed uh, on the CTT stage, the conversion to type. And then you go to your unit and then that's when you start doing your real job. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, but that's quite a long yeah. process. So once you've passed selection and then you start training, how long does it take yeah. before you kind of start the job? I'd say about three years and that's quick. Oh. And that's on the quick time scale. If you did it now, there's massive backlogs in the training system. You'd be a lot longer. Mm. Uh, one of my friends is currently going through the course and he's just waited 12 months between the fixed wing stage and started the rotary stage. Oh my God. So that's 12 months where they send you back to do a different job for 12 months until you can come back. And so he's lost all his continuity of yeah. flying. So it's been tough for him, but he's he's progressing. He started mm. the, the, the rotary phase and he's thoroughly enjoying it again. But uh, it's not been easy. No, not at all. Yeah, so it's been changed from basically a civilian company now runs the training system called Ascent so with the the changeover with Ascent running the training system and the the new helicopter the EC-135 Juno uh, coming in it's just it's taken a a bit of time just to get the wheels running smoothly yeah of course 
from there, I went up to Dishforth, flew the links for six months. I was on an amphibious squadron, so we did a little bit of uh, HMS Illustrious. Oh, nice. Yeah, flying off Illustrious. I did a couple of exercises uh, around Scotland, flying mm-hmm. there. Uh, it was only, I was only up there for about six months. I didn't do a lot uh, before the opportunity to move down south to a different squadron. So the squadron that I won went out to the Philippines and did a humanitarian operation out there. Yeah, the guys loved it out there. as in They were doing a, a real job in helping people, delivering mm. food and water. So I was a little bit jealous, but <laughs> uh, I uh, managed. There was an opportunity to go to a, a specialised squadron down south uh, yeah. just because they were short of numbers, not because I was... Uh, any good it was just because there were short of links pilots in the squadron uh, and I wasn't trained highly enough at the frontline unit so they were prepared to let me go so luckily I managed to have, to have this opportunity to move into a squadron called 657 squadron based at RF Odium it was the best four years I had in the army it was just fantastic they do a very specialized role you're working with people that are very good at the job very focused and I managed to do two tours to Afghanistan with them so for six months doing a job every day and you actually do getting results at the end yeah. and you feel like that all that so training satisfying. was worthwhile it was yeah absolutely catching uh, bad people <laughs> yes it was uh, very satisfying you know when when you know that the target that you're going after has been responsible for IEDs etc mm. and then you manage to capture this person or be part of the team that uh, has captured this person. So that was like the pinnacle. The last four years was fantastic. Did many sorts of deployments overseas. I've got lots of sports involved as well. I played for the Army Air Corps at cricket. So we went to Barbados, Sri Lanka. Oh, wow. Yeah, played cricket. And then managed to get to Los Angeles on a football tour. So there was loads of sports involved uh, as well. It's not all hard work. There's quite a, a mix, which was fantastic because we managed to watch England play at the test match in Barbados as well met all the England players before the game uh, yes last four years it was just fantastic unit down there and then what was happening is the squadron was going to get disbanded and I lived up north my wife continued to live up north and I thought I always wanted to be a commercial pilot I know this is great but this has to come to an end at some point and you've got to transition as much as it was so hard because after 15 years you're sort of indoctrinated into that mm. culture you understand the organization and you're quite comfortable yeah, exactly. And you're getting paid a good salary. You're on over £50,000 now mm-hmm. with flying pay, which is a lot of money for being in the, for the military. And it's a job that's completely safe. You've got a yeah. pension there that's getting paid for you, which is a good pension at the end. I know they've played around with it, but it's still a good pension compared to what you get on civilian street. So it just came to the point, though, I wanted a family. I wanted a normal life uh, because there's a constant risk involved when you, you're doing these sort of things. And yeah. I always wanted to be a commercial pilot. That was the ultimate aim. So I took the leap of faith. I did the exams uh, like everyone else. The only yeah. thing you're exempt being a military pilot uh, was the official ground school package. So on my exercises when I was in the desert, I was there just studying away. Uh, in my spare time just smashing the question banks and going through the the study packs and then started doing the exams uh, as I came back 
And then you come to certain exams and they're very difficult without being properly taught. So a lot of extra work and help from other people came in for your gen nav and certain ones. But I managed to get through them and then passed. Finished the 14, well, I did 19 exams as well because I did the other five for Rotary as well. Because at that stage, you just don't know where the market's going. At least I'd had the other five in the bag to switch to civilian Rotary. So we did the 19. After that, I signed off the army. So that's 12 months notice you leave to give and then I started doing the CPL so you have to do everything else so I'd already had a PPL and I got the hours 150 so then I did a CPL multi-engine IR and then the MCC jock and then I was in a position just as a a modular student really and then started applying for jobs and Mm. fortunately I had an interview at two airlines lined up but the one that I really wanted I got offered the job I got offered the job and I was over the moon. Yeah, I didn't have to attend the interview because as much as it would have been a great flying job, I didn't really want to work for that company. Yeah, fair enough. It was just luck of the draw because everything in the fixed wind is so volatile. It changes so quickly. Yeah. So it was just being at the right time. And the military hours counted. Rotary hours got factorised quite heavily. But the military experience and the background of it helped in the interview and then got offered it. I was in a cricket tournament and the, the email came through. And I just jumped for joy because... Oh, lovely. What I, a feeling. Oh, it's an amazing feeling. Everyone started looking at me like, what's happened? Has he won the lottery or something? <laughs> because, oh yeah, I couldn't control it because it was such a relief to have something that I was coming to because it was such a big step, handing yeah. my notice in with the army at that point. And I suppose it was so, quite a big risk as well because like, like you said, the last four years in the military were incredible although you know you wanted to be a commercial pilot ultimately still there is a bit of risk involved because like you said it's such a volatile industry you don't really know what's going to happen in the future oh completely yeah absolutely it was a massive risk Mm. it was it was really making me feel uncomfortable signing off it was such a big step to do that hand you notice in and then the clock was ticking down before you were leaving and I was thinking what happens if I don't get a job I'm gonna have to sign back on Uh, It was just, so as soon as you sign off in the military, your flying pay stops. So that was quite a substantial pay cut. Mm. And then I had to pay, obviously, all the flying training. And then with the airline, I managed to get a job. I had to pay for my tight rating, but it was an expense. But I was quite happy to work for it and pay for it because yeah. I was just over the moon. Uh, and then I was going to be based down south as well. So I didn't know where I was going to be based. I could have been based in Portugal or, or wherever. I was quite good. I got managed to be based in Luton for six months with the airline. And then after six months, I managed to get transferred to Manchester. Hopefully, I'm not moving from Manchester. When you're in the military, it's like it's not a job. It's like a whole lifestyle isn't it so Mm. how did you find that transition from how I see it it's quite structured military lifestyle Mm. into back into the civilian lifestyle with you know a commercial pilot role yeah it was it was very strange initially because in the military once you're a pilot you've got a lot of other responsibilities you're not just a pilot so you get what you call secondary duties so you might be a flight safety officer yeah uh, there's loads of different instructing jobs, so dangerous goods instructor, CRM instructor. So there's loads of other job roles that you've got to do, as well as organising exercises, and you play in big parts. So you're always busy. You're constantly busy. You're not. You're not sat down. Whereas transferring to like sort of civilian shit, when I got out, it was a bit crazy how like life just went very sort of flat. Mm. in in terms of you operate you, you make sure you know your, your stuff the flight and you do your research but that's it you operate the flight and there's no secondary duties there's no other responsibilities that yeah. you should be doing you just make sure that you do the job competently 
on your daily basis. So it took me a little while to sort of settle in because I just felt like I had so much spare time. I needed to be doing something. I needed to be on the go. Yeah. And I was looking at multiple things. Should I do my rotary licenses as well? I was looking at doing some instructing uh, toward fail. But then you realise as you just start calming that it took me a good six months before it all started settling down. Have I made the right decision? Questioning it. Once it had all settled down and life had got a bit calmer, I'd realised that I'd fully made the right decision yeah. for, for both life and at the right time because I'm so much calmer now and less stressed because I'm not commuting up and down the motorway every weekend. Mm. I've just got a better family life now at this stage of my life. But I'm glad I've done all that previously yeah, and had the excitement and enjoyment. Yeah. And now I can hopefully pass on to the next generation all these things that a benefit because I fly with lots of pilots and they all go oh, I wish I'd done something else before I'd done this mm. because a lot of them it just gets a bit samey doing the same job sort of thing after a while like any job does so yeah, it's just it uh it's just it's just quite nice the transition the actual flying of the aircraft was completely different whereas rotary is all hands-on it's all judgment sort of you don't take your hands off the controls mm. whereas Takes when it's all automation. Oh, the majority yeah. is automation after take off from because it's the safest way to operate and the most efficient way. Yeah. Managing the descent, I think, was like the biggest sort of hurdle. And a lot of people on my type rating were already commercial pilots. So just the RT on the radio, speaking to people on the ground, the way yeah. things are run, they already knew that. Whereas on my type rating, I was trying to learn the aircraft. I was trying to learn from helicopters to fixed wing, but they'd operated fixed wing before. They knew all the RT. So I was, again, holding on for dear life on uh, my tight rating course to try and keep up with my sim partner and the rest of the course. But again, luckily, I had a great sim partner. A lady had just come from Fly B, and she was fantastic, really helpful. And then uh, she went and she moved on to BA, but she was fantastic. Mm. Uh, and it, again, it made a huge difference getting through the course. And then you start all your training and then that's a massive difference is the way the instructors speak to you and are within a civilian organisation to a military organisation. Yeah, it's very, very direct in the military, whereas the civilians are a lot calmer. Everything's <laughs> a bit a bit more pink and fluffy. It's all <laughs> nice. Probably a bit more diplomatic as well. <laughs> oh, come, oh, very diplomatic, yeah. The language, yes. It's a lot cleaner. So that was a big change. It was, it was a nice change because it took the sort of pressure off, whereas the military, a lot of it, they would pile the pressure and pile to see yeah. where you'd break sort of stage. Whereas this was not, it was all about learning and you just felt very relaxed within the training system. Mm. And I did think the training system was fantastic within the within the airline. And I'd heard a lot of things about the, the training system, but it was just amazing to actually go through it. Mm. So how long have you been um, a commercial pilot for now? So 2018, March 2018, I started my tight rating out in Amsterdam. Uh, and then in April, I started flying, doing my line training out to Luton. So yeah, three years. Oh, nice. well with covid yeah so which has taken about a year but so two and a half three years yeah. like that and uh it's sort of it's got to the stage now where we're sort of comfortable happy enjoying it and fully yeah. adapted like we were discussing earlier the thing is with flight training and pilot training it's quite difficult for the majority of people to get into so it's really interesting to hear you know your route and you going through the army because that's not something yeah. that people would really consider. It's not. when uh, Most people consider, when they speak about military flight, they think RAF and Navy. The reality is, 
it's extremely difficult to become a pilot in the RAF and Navy because it's what a lot of people want to do is become a yeah. pilot. And they know it's extremely fun flying and it's free. And the majority of the pilots have got a very strong academic background. And not all of them, but I'm just saying the majority have got very good degrees behind them. They've had very good education all the way through. And it's a lot based on grades and what you've done previously in your life. And I just think that there's a lot of people that may have made mistakes in the younger life, may have taken longer to develop. And now they have got the opportunity to become a pilot, not relying on your GCSE grades that you might have not done so well at. This is based on you. Are they going to assess you whether you've got the capability to learn, not on your previous background? So it just gives everyone that opportunity to apply. And if you meet those requirements and you can pass their tests that they're going to put in front of you, you can have the opportunity to fly military aircraft. An EC-135 to fly, in this, if you had to pay for it yourself, is a lot of money you're talking, maybe up to £2,000 an hour. Oh, my God. So, And this is what you start your flying training on. So they're investing a lot of money in you. And this is... This is to open to everyone that's in the military. As long as you meet that initial criteria of passing the medical, four-year service and Lance Corporal recommended for Corporal, that you can apply. And if it doesn't work out, that hopefully you're going to get life skills from the military. Yeah, exactly. Or And save money to pursue it privately if you want it. It mm. just, it just, to me, I've always wanted to create options because life changes. Nothing goes to a plan everything you've just got to be adaptable so by creating options you just give yourself that chance to adapt and hopefully pick the best route for yourself depending on circumstances yeah exactly and also you know you get to play cricket in Barbados and things like that in the military which you don't get to do every day absolutely like the opportunities that they offer like you'll be able to do a week's adventure training so or a lot of people go skiing a week skiing may cost you a couple of hundred pounds like it's it's nothing sort of money and then if you play sport the opportunities are fantastic if you like i played army cricket i played at cricket at lords many cricket tours early on in my career when i had the time it was three four days off in the summer playing cricket and getting paid for it as a normal day the opportunities are there and like yeah. i said whether it is sport or you want to specialize in a different route a language or something more specialized there's so many different avenues mm. within the military you've just once you're in, you can find the best route for the individual. I'm not really speaking from the army point of view. I've not served in the RF and Navy, but it was the right option for me at that yeah. time. And I wouldn't regret my decision. It's just a lot of people don't really consider the mili- uh, army as an option to fly. But yeah. there's many people now that it's changed their lives being able to pass that course and gone on to... So the police helicopters mostly made up of ex-army pilots. Oh, I didn't know that. It most, yeah, the majority, there's there's some from the RF and Navy, but they tend to be a lot are army pilots mm. because they've had the training and they're, they're very highly trained and that's the way they transition across. Uh, whereas a lot of the um, North Sea oil rigs, a lot of RAF and Navy, uh, a lot of the air ambulance are army, ex-army pilots. It's just very hard for civilians to get those sort of hours and training that a military pilot has had. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the opportunities are there on the outside if they decide to leave, uh, if, if they've had enough. Well, thank you very much for just taking the time to share your experiences. I haven't spoken to anyone who's gone in through this route, so it's really interesting to hear what you've done and how you've got here. I've just started a, a website, Pilgrim Pilot, uh, and it's just going to 
basically. I'm going to start putting a blog on that and I'm going to put some information. And if anyone wants any specific information to each stage, then they're welcome to email me and uh, I'll give them all the information and help. I'm not doing this for money. There's no financial gain for me. It's Mm. all it is, is the satisfaction of helping people and just showing them they've got the opportunity that I had and just opening their eyes to the possibilities. I'll include a link uh, so people can go and check that out. That'd be great. Thanks very much. Cool, no problem. Right, thank you very much again. Thanks, bye-bye. A huge thank you to Stuart for joining me on uh, today's episode of the podcast. It's really interesting to hear from him how his training went um, and how it differed from mine so far. And also just the comparisons between how he found life in the army and how that compares to sort of his now civilian lifestyle. As Stuart mentioned earlier, he does have a website called pilgrimpilot.co.uk and like he said, he has a blog and contact details if you'd like to reach out. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Beyond the Cockpit and I hope you can join me next time. Beyond the Cockpit with Grace McKellar. Find us and like us on social media. Search at Beyond the Cockpit.